Welcome back to Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how's it going tonight? Doing good tonight. You know, um, I know we're going to dive into it, but it was fun to finally get back to the stadium, get a little Bill's football input, and uh, enjoy what eventually became a win. And um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it tonight. Let me just say, I am proud of you because... You had this fear, and I don't want to call it a fear, but you had this issue with preseason games in general, and we talked about it last week. Like Preseason games just have never been your thing, but because we are creating this content for the Bills Chat Podcast, you have committed to watching the preseason games so you could provide your analysis. And this week, not only did you watch it, but you dove in with two feet and went to the game and were part of Bills Mafia. So Luca, my question to you is, did you get injured jumping through a table? I did not get injured uh, jumping through a table, just a casual tailgate. It was it was just a beautiful day, first and foremost, uh, was out there with a couple of friends um, and whatnot. It was it was kind of a socially drink, have a good time, did a couple shots, you know, whatever it may be pregame, walk to the stadium and then just enjoy the beautiful day that it was Saturday afternoon, dinnerish time and uh, consume a little more in this stadium and uh, just be happy that Bill's football is back. Even though we didn't get to see any of the big names that we will look forward to seeing come regular season, it was still an enjoyable time overall. I'll definitely say that. So I do want to talk about that for a second because this was the first time, you know, blue and red scrimmage aside that Bill's mafia was together to support the bills for a home game since the 13 seconds game happened and the season ended last year. And I just wanted to talk to you as somebody who was in person for that game. What was the vibe like in that stadium? I mean, there's a part of me that that feels like maybe there were some snarky fans that did a Bronx cheer when um, Tyler Bass kicks the kickoff and it forces a kickoff return. He doesn't kick it through the end zone. Did any of that take place? Did the fans seem like they're in a good mood? Just what can you tell us about the environment of the stadium on Saturday? I thought overall the environment was very good, very positive. Everyone was enjoying themselves. I mean, it was too nice of a day to not enjoy yourself. I will also add there was, I don't, I never got up. I never heard him say anything, but there was a gentleman about two rows in front of me, a little off to the right, wearing a Tyron Matthew, Kansas city chiefs, uh, Jersey. And I was also just for reference sitting in the Kelly club seats. So it's not exactly like we're up top and cheap seats. Very interesting there. And he did make a comment here or there. I do think he was a Bills fan. So I think there was some sort of, um, I don't know. There was something. Like, like he there. lost a bet or something? Yeah, there was something there going on why he was wearing that jersey. Uh, but other than that, no, overall, it was. I thought the vibes were good. I thought it was a great, you know, it. the day was too nice. I don't mm -hmm. think you could be mad because sun's out. It was low 80s, high 70s just perfect weather, perfect weather to just enjoy a game that ultimately didn't matter, but you were happy to be back in the stadium and watching the bills play. Obviously in this situation, the Colts doesn't matter though, just watching them play some actual contact football. And it felt great. Like everything was good. Um, I was enjoying the drinks a little too much there, probably <laughs> from halftime. Um, just, you know, socializing with friends, went to see other friends in the stadium, stuff like that. But uh, overall, just the vibes were good. I, I can't hate on anything. I was actually surprised with the turnout a little bit. I thought there were a little more fans than I would have expected. But it's also probably been, geez, 
16 to 20 years since I've been to a preseason game in that stadium. So I think times have changed it a little bit with Bill's football that I don't know what I would have really expected anyways. Okay, well, I am going to just bring this up. You told me about this off the air, but we are an open book on this show. Our listeners are our family, so let's let them in on it, too. You told me that after you had a couple of drinks, you may have made a bet, and I would like for you to share that with our audience now. (laughs) Yeah, shout out to my uh, friend out there, Brad. Um, That was the individual that brought me to this game. I'm very thankful, and I had a great time with with, uh, him and his wife. But um, we were sitting there talking, and he's a little bit more of a pessimistic Bills fan. Plenty of them out there. We all know them. I know, Josh, you even get there at times. Um, but uh, we were just having a back and forth. The, the booze was flowing a bit, and we were having a conversation about, you know, wh- what is this season going to be real? You know, what is the outcome going to be of this season? And I was so, I, I am confident so much in this season that I just, I could not tell him anything other than I expect this team to be there on the final game of the NFL season. I don't know who it will be against. I just expect this Bills team, barring anything crazy, to be in that final game of the year. And he just doesn't think that that will happen. Just something in his brain will not let him accept that fate for the Buffalo Bills. So eventually, push comes to shove. He looks at me and he goes, how much are you willing to put on it that the Bills will be in the Super Bowl? And just gut reaction, out of the mouth, pulled the trigger and it's just $100, like right out, just no questions asked. And he couldn't believe it for a second. That's how confident I was. Shook hands on it. Next thing you know. And uh, yeah, shout out to Brad. We have a Super Bowl bet officially on the books. He has any other scenario that does not have the Bills making the Super Bowl. And I have Bills making Super Bowl. And I am pretty confident in it. I got to admit, I, I feel there is something different in the air about this season. And I, I know you wanted me to share it. We're an open book. And yeah, $100 on the line, folks. Let's go. We are going to get to everything that happened in the game, the storylines coming out of it, but I do want to iron this out with Luca really quickly because I also enjoy gambling on sports. And I will tell you, Luca, here's why I like it from your side and here's why I like it from your friend's side. So here's me playing it right down the middle. Why I like it from your side is even me, I know Homer Bills fan, surprise he's going to say this. If I had to put my life on the line and say, pick one team out of the AFC that you think will be in the Super Bowl, my pick would be the Bills. There's multiple reasons for that. One, the bills of the four divisions that of teams that I consider to be the upper echelon team. So I would not put either of the um, AFC South teams, Tennessee or Indianapolis in that upper echelon level of the upper echelon teams in the AFC. The bills by far have the easiest path to a division title out of say Kansas city, the chargers, the Ravens, the Bengals. I mean, I'm just naming them. Those are division rivals, right? Like the bills have to go through three young quarterbacks of the Jets are rebuilding the Patriots, you know, chaos right now, if you read the camp reports. So from that standpoint, you feel the best about the fact that the bills are probably going to be in the tournament and probably have a home game. So from that standpoint, you feel like your bet is at least going to get you to the playoffs where if you bet on a team like the Bengals or the chiefs, there's a realistic chance with how their division is set up. Those teams could even miss out on the playoffs. Doesn't even mean they weren't good, but the rest of their division could keep them out. I will say, though, getting the Bills versus the field, I think I would take the field in a straight up bet. So I'd like it from your friend's standpoint. I love where your head's at, though. And this certainly feels like a Bills team that can make you look like a genius and you will have some bragging rights over that friend. And I really hope that we are along for that ride that gets the Bills to the Super Bowl. 
All right. So what do we have in store for tonight? We obviously have a Bills game in the books. The Bills and the Indianapolis Colts played on Saturday. And we're going to go over all of the storylines that came out of that game. We're going to talk about how certain position battles are shaping up after one game being in the books. We are also going to talk about some storylines going around the league. Um, We had a quarterback in the AFC East that had a very big injury scare that he seems to have escaped. Um, But Luca, you know, when when we got this Monday time slot on the uh, built in Buffalo podcast network, we pretty much knew that we were almost going to be in that post game show environment, right? Particularly on games where the bills play on Sunday afternoon or Sunday night. Like that is just what people want to hear on a Monday show. It's like, talk about the game, what happened in the game. Let's talk about coaching decisions. Let's talk about player performances, all that. Like we know that. And so I think that that will be the general tone for shows going forward. And obviously like the Thursday night game against the Rams, by the time we get to our show on Monday, that game will have time to marinate. And there'll be other shows that have come out that really take care of that first couple 48 hours of the game. Like the emotion is wore off and maybe we can take a little bit more analytical, big picture approach to that Rams game because of the timing. And then obviously like with the Titans game, our show is going to actually come out before the game. So it'll be more of that pregame show environment. What I'm getting at though, is based on the timing this week, it would make sense for us to have like a full fledged pre post game show. But with it being preseason, there's just there's not too much diving in as far as strategy. Like Luca and I are not going to sit here and argue about whether Sean McDermott should have gone for two point conversion when they were down by eight, or we're not going to argue about whether um, the Bills should have gone for it on fourth down on their first drive or not. Like that kind of strategy just does not matter in the preseason. But we are going to talk about individual player performances, who stepped up, who was put into situations where they were really up against it. We are going to talk about things like the backup quarterback situation. We're going to talk about how wide receivers are looking now after a couple of young guys really stepped up and maybe a couple of veterans um, didn't have the game they were looking for. We're going to talk about the offensive line and what the depth of that situation is looking like. We're going to get into all of that tonight. We do have some Bills news to get to, though. Obviously, the first thing is the Bills won a football game on Saturday, 27 to 24, defeating the Indianapolis Colts. They did so on a walk-off field goal by Tyler Bass. And the Bills extend their preseason winning streak to nine games in a row. On Sunday, the Bills announced that they have waived four players, two offensive linemen, Jordan Simmons and Derek Kerstetter. They they waived cornerback Elijah Griffin and tight end Jalen Weidermeyer. So the Bills, their roster is at 86 players. All teams in the league have to be at 85 by Tuesday. So we'll keep our ear to the ground on who that next player the Bills are going to release. I will give my thoughts on who I think that will be, but at this point in time, it's probably not going to be a player that's overly consequential to the roster as it sits right now. On Sunday, Sean McDermott did give an update on Jordan Poyer. He is trending in the right direction. He will not be available for this upcoming game next weekend against the Broncos, but there is a chance he could be back for preseason game number three for the Carolina Panthers. And at this point in time, Luke, I will kick it back to you on the Poyer thing. It sure seems like all signs are pointing to he is going to be ready to go by the time the Bills play the Rams. All talks seem very positive when it comes to Poyer. So, yes, that gives me a lot of confidence that the game that matters week one to kick off the NFL season, Poyer should be there. Everything will be good. And yeah, it's a good thing to hear Sean McDermott every time the subject comes up, just reinforce. Everything seems good. 
will not play this week, which is fine. It's the Broncos. Uh, another preseason game, week two. What it is, don't care. Could be back for the follow or the final preseason game. Great if he's not. Even if he's at ninety percent, even like that's fine. If he doesn't play, we know what we have in Jordan Poyer. Let's just make sure he's a hundred percent come week one against the Rams. Maybe shake off the rust if that's kind of what they're thinking. But overall, just it's it's all positive. I love hearing McDermott reinforce the yep he's trending in the great direction, not even the right direction, a great direction. And we should have him when the games start mattering and all good. Um, real quick on just the releases. They are what they are. As you said, I'm sure we'll dive into what you are thinking about that one spot that needs to still be freed up. Um, but overall, no, no one that's surprising. I'm sure like Wiedermeyer will probably find his way back on the practice squad, potentially even unless they really don't think anything of him at this point. But it's, they are what they are. It's the first cuts. So be it. Let's just move on to uh, everything else that's fun in this preseason world. A couple more tidbits from the Bills. Uh, Marquez Stevenson did have his surgery last week. He is nursing a lower body, body injury that was described as a multiple week timetable. And that just is a crushing blow to a guy that was on the roster bubble and really is going to have a hard time proving that he's worthy of a roster spot without being able to be on the field with his path to making this team most likely being through that kick returner, punt returner job. So devastating timing for that injury. We wish him the best and hope for a speedy recovery there. No pun intended because that is his nickname. And then offensive lineman Tommy Doyle is dealing with a minor foot injury coming out of the Colts game. I think that is the only injury coming out of the Colts game. Kair Elam did leave briefly with what was described as a head injury. He was cleared by the doctors to come back into the game. Obviously, he didn't because it was a preseason game. And then Blackshear also left with what looked like a lower body injury, but did come back in for the last drive of the game. All right, Luca, we have a lot to talk about as far as storylines coming out of the game, but I know you, I know I will not have your full attention until we hit on this one subject. So we are going to stop all conversation about offense and defense, and we are going to quote unquote, kick it off with a topic that I know is near and dear to your heart. I'm just going to kick it back to you right now. Talk about what it was like to be in the stadium when the punt guy did his thing. Oh, it was, it was electric. It was, I have never been at a sporting event. Oh, I'll just say football game. Cause obviously we're talking about a punt here, but I've never been at a game where legitimately everyone saw 19 go out there. Ears perked up. Everyone became enamored and interested in what he had to do. We're talking about a punter. I mean, even things like the Brian Mormon era, it was awesome to have a guy as good as he was, but it wasn't for positive reasons that you were seeing him. Everyone was interested in the punt god, Matt Areza. And boy, when he booted that thing. Now, everyone can have their criticisms. Everyone can say what they are. I will say it was definitely a low, tight spiral bullet, right? I get it. But if he's able to get that off quick, like he did, and it carries as far as it did, the returner had to turn around and lose it and just let it go. All right. That's the amount of distance he got off of that. No one expected that coming. And he got the result. 82 yard punt, net 62 yards with a touchback. 
10 out of 10 times you take that punt in a game that actually matters and a game that doesn't matter. I don't care. The fact that that happened in person and I got to watch it made me going to that game perfect and everything I wanted it to be. Anyone out there hating on that for whatever unknown or known reason that you have created in your head, you're stupid. Like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why anyone out there would be like, oh, it resulted in a touchback. So who cares? You are pinned back at your own 17 yard line and you can get the result of a touchback. Yes, please. Thank you very much. I don't care. That is awesome. That's incredible. I it's it's perfect because then for, let's say, the Bills, since that's who we're talking about here, you just got them pinned back at their own 20 when you couldn't even cross your own 20. And you have possibly the best defense in the league. Statistically, last year, they were the best defense. I like our chances. I love the field position game that that puts us in. Perfect. Everything is great. Because how often do we have it where Matt Hawk just kind of shanked one off and all of a sudden we're defending at, say, the 48-yard line, basically midfield or something of that nature. And you're just frustrated because one, two first downs, and now they're in scoring position. They're they're in a place where they can take away points. If you are able to boot the damn ball 62 net yards, 82 yards any given day, yeah, cool. I will be fascinated that ball that he punted, watching it in person. Like I said, it was a lower tight spiral punt. If he was able to replicate that in the tougher conditions, say late October, November time coming into December, I would be fascinated to see how that ball reacts to a little bit more wind, colder air, things of that nature. That does intrigue me. That is where the conversation about hang time may have some credibility. I will give them that. But if it's as tight as I mean, that thing was actually pretty dang tight in the air for a long time. I I was very impressed with just the sheer distance he got out of that. The result is incredible, but the intriguing part now becomes he is basically solidified his position as Matt Hawk is just, you know, he's dispendable. He does not need to be here because as we also will talk about his hold was, I mean, Areza did perfectly on the game winning field goal hold. Hold was perfect. Perfect. Matt Hawk is disposable. Now, how is punt God going to handle those tougher conditions later in the season? Things of that nature. Overall, I think that punt showed me he should be okay. You would just expect him to get better at his craft over time, like anyone else does in the NFL, and I'm sure everything would be golden. Overall, back to it, it was just awesome to watch it. 82-yard punt. It f- I have never seen anyone boot a ball like that. That thing flew off his foot. You could tell, I'm again, I was sitting in like the Kelly Club seats, about eight rows up in the 200 section, and you could just see the sheer velocity coming off his foot, and that thing exploded incredible punt i love it don't hate on it anyone out there you're silly if you're new just a 10 out of 10 you take that result every time don't question it done and it broke sports twitter you had every a-lister in sports media tweeting about it you had adam schefter tweeting about it you had pat mcafee tweeting about it um darius leonard who now goes by shaquille leonard i just wanted to make sure i said darius leonard so everybody knew i was talking about who is a Colt player who wasn't even active for the game was home. And he was like 82 yards. Are you kidding me? It was amazing. Um, so quickly on the actual punt, anybody complaining about it? Let's just, even though we talked about preseason, you're not really going to look at too much into strategy. 
Let's talk about that as a game situation. The Bills are backed up inside their own 20. There's a minute four left in the half, and he basically flipped field position. He gave the Colts no chance to turn that into points. You take that 10 out of 10 times, like Lucas said, any conversation about like, oh, it was a touchback. Every coach in the world would take that. The other thing is we all knew the guy had a boot. What we didn't know is if he was going to be able to adapt to holding. Luke and I had been saying since draft night, like he has never been asked to hold. Let's not confuse can't do with never been asked to do. He had the hold on the game winning kick. Um, It was mentioned by Cynthia Freeland on the um, NFL Network broadcast that McDermott had come out and said that he was going to be the holder for all holding situations in the game. Uh, Matt Hawk did have a punt, which was a disappointing situation. It was like, why is Hawk going out there to punt? And to his credit, I think he knocked it down to the 10-yard line. Um, but the most impressive hold by Ariza was actually on an extra point where the snap came out a little bit low. He was still able to grab it, get it down for a perfect Tyler Bass kick. Um, when you look at it all, the fact that Ariza is a draft pick, the fact that Hawk was really here last year just because of his holding ability and the concerns of what that would mean for Tyler Bass if they had to change holder midseason, the fact that Ariza is on a four-year cost-controlled deal and Hawk is on a one-year deal, everything is pointing to the fact that Matt Hawk would have to really outshine Ariza to take this job, and the direct opposite is happening. Ariza's out kicking him, he's holding just as well as him, and it's only a matter of time. And this is the fifth name I was talking about, is who I expect the Bills to release before Tuesday Matt Hawk. And it's not any kind of slight at Matt Hawk. In fact, it's a respect thing. A lot of times what teams will do in situations where there is a specialist that is an NFL quality specialist, and they know that he's not going to be their guy. The Bills did this with Steven Hauschka a couple of years back when it was evident that Tyler Bass was going to take the job. You release these guys early and you do so as a courtesy because there's other teams out there that have punting issues right now. And if Matt Hawk gets released in the middle of August, um, you know, random team like the Titans or, you know, I'm, there's no rhyme or reason why I'm saying these teams, the Eagles, the Giants, they're like, hey, we could use a punter upgrade. Maybe we could bring in this Matt Hawk and see if he can compete. And you give him a much better shot of making somebody's team playing in preseason games for them, getting some continuity with their kicking game. So it would be a courtesy. And it's something that I expect the Bills to do sooner rather than later. Okay, Luca, one last thing on the punt God, because I know he is a favorite of yours. He's a favorite of mine. He's a favorite of all of Bills fans. The Bills, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, they have a type. I'm not saying that they go out and they target these players exclusively, but it's certainly a tiebreaker. They love players that have a chip on their shoulder. Anytime you listen to Jordan Poyer on Pat McAfee, there's always a conversation. Even McAfee will say sometimes like, hey, you guys were the number one defense, but you sure didn't have any pro bowlers last year. And, you know, Poyer just kind of laughs it off, but you can just tell like he'll even bring it up. He's like, yeah. I don't know. I guess we weren't that good if we didn't have any pro bowlers or, you know, Josh Allen. Hey, I, di- I didn't have any scholarship offers coming out of college. I guess I must not have been that good. Um, Stefan Diggs was a backup when he first came into the league and, and really took that personally and then got on the field and never came off in Minnesota. And then I know he's a punter. I know he's not on the same level of like NFL impact as Poyer and Allen and Diggs, but I heard a Matt Ariza interview. I want to say it was on One Bills Live, or maybe it was a press conference a couple weeks ago, where they just asked him, like, you know, hey, how are you adapting to your first camp? And the question was basically framed like one of the best punting prospects we've ever seen. What kind of pressure do you feel? And he made a comment that didn't really stick with me until recently. He said something along the lines of, 
that's all well and good, but I was the third punter taken in this draft, and I'm the only one of the punters drafted that's still competing for a starting job. And at the time, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. Like that drives him. I was the third punter taken and I have to compete for a job. And then his post-game interview yesterday, they were asking about it and he was going through all the stuff and he made a comment, Luca. I don't know if you had a chance to hear it. If you hadn't, I just want to hear your reaction to it. They were asking him about like kicking it over the player's head and he made a comment of, yeah, I was told you couldn't do that at this level. I told, I was told the returners were too fast. I love the chip on this guy's shoulder and Yes, he's he's got a boomstick of a leg, like Luca likes to say. He checks a lot of boxes for a punter the Bills need in this weather. But I think, Luca, he's got that little bit of his chip on his shoulder. Like, you want to doubt me, I'm going to prove you wrong. And who hates a player like that? Who, who wants to actively hate a player like that? It, it just adds to the legend that is punt god, that is Matt Ariza. And I love it. I actually did not. I did not get a chance to hear pretty much any of the post games, unfortunately being at the game, it's, it's always harder to listen in. And then I would have to really make an effort. I mean, there was a lot of other things going on. I'm there with friends, all that fun stuff, but I didn't get a chance to hear that, but I love it. I love every, every word in that statement. You know, it it clearly hits him hard. He doesn't like that. He wasn't the first punter, which I would have expected him to be the first punter off the board in the draft night, but he wasn't, It, it affects him at every core of his being that, oh, you can't do that in the NFL. Everyone's faster, bigger, faster, blah, blah, blah. And he just booms it over his head to the point where the returner has to just concede the result of that punt. That does not happen often in the NFL. As much as people might want to possibly think that that is something that, oh, yeah, they just let it go all the time. No. Returners generally always are behind the ball and then can make an educated decision on that. It's not that it flew over their head to the point of concession. That does not happen in this league. And he did that right out the gate. And it's awesome. I love the chip aspect too. He's an awesome prospect. I cannot wait to watch more, hopefully not too much, but more of him going forward. I look forward to it. I think the bills have their punter and I'm excited about his future And Luca, there were a lot of guys in this game who I'm excited about their future. But before we get there, I think the biggest story of the game was what we alluded to last week when we predicted who would and would not play. There was a long list of players that were not active for the game. You know, the ones that you could just expect, the Josh Allen, the Diggs, the Dawkins, the Hyde, um, guys, the Edmonds, the Milano, the Von Millers, like the Mitch Morses. You just knew those guys weren't going to play like you get it. But there were some conversations we even had last week, and there were some names in there that we both predicted. I don't even want to say we predicted. We just said that if we had the opportunity to talk to Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, we would not have them play. And two of those names were Isaiah McKenzie and Dane Jackson. Uh, Greg Rousseau also did not play. We both said we wouldn't have him play. We thought he had to step up in that young edge rusher competition. It sure seems like he did. Some other interesting names on the list, though, Saran Neal, Tyler Matakavich, and Taiwan Jones, who are all known for their special teams. None of the Bills projected starting five offensive linemen suited up for the game. And then whether or not you think uh, Spencer Brown or David Questenberry are the starting right tackle, it doesn't matter because neither one of them suited up. So the top six offensive linemen on this team did not dress. Um, Luca, I think of those names 
Dane Jackson is the most interesting, although I think we kind of hit on it last week where I don't know if that necessarily means that he's a notch above a Kyer Elam or a Christian Benford or more of they kind of know what they have with him and they wanted to see some extended run out of Benford and Elam against receivers who are not Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. Um, but Isaiah McKenzie, Saran Neal, uh, if you want to talk about Dane Jackson, just of those list of players that didn't play anything really stand out to you. Nothing for the most part stood out for me, though the special teamers, Neil Matikiewicz, uh, Taiwan Jones, those ones were a little surprising to me in the regard of I'm, I'm genuinely surprised they didn't want to at least get them out there to stretch their legs, do their stuff. We know what we have with them. They know their job on this team is specifically tied to special teams for the most part. Um, that was a little surprising because maybe you're trying to try other people out while you still have those guys to kind of size them up during the play. I feel like there might be something in there with that, but overall I'm not, it's not like I'm upset about it. I, I totally understand. And you got to keep your aces protected, even though it's something as silly as special teams, it matters. Special teams matters. So those were probably the few names that actually surprised me. Dane Jackson. I love benching him. I love not, not benching him. <laughs> I love not dressing him. Love I, I love just giving more reps to all the other guys, seeing what you got out there. Yeah. It's the Colts too, like Pittman. And um, I can't even name anyone after that. Alec Pierce. There we go. Pierce. Mm -hmm. These are not guys that you would expect to game break. So getting Benford and Elam and, and Cam Lewis and all these guys out there to get meaningful reps against those guys, which are, they are solid NFL wide receivers, but they're not game breakers again. And just see what they can do with that. I think that was huge. I think that was a big thing. And you, Dane Jackson, you mentioned it. Dane Jackson is kind of the one guy on this roster right now in the corner position that you know exactly what you're going to get out of him, which is a great asset to have. So why bother even wasting his time and breath and potential injury risk there by dressing him in this game? It did not matter. Get the meaningful snaps to everyone else. See what you got there. And Dane will be there come, you know, if they maybe they'll dress him for a drive or two next week for week two of preseason. Maybe they hold off again and then wait until week three to see, you know, Benford for one series opposite and then Elam one series opposite. Who, who knows, right? You don't need to have Dane Jackson out there. You know exactly what you have in him. Let's see what everyone else is. And then you can maybe flirt with the idea of seeing how a pairing works good or not, whatever it may be. So I wasn't surprised with that. Everything else we talked about, McKenzie, Russo, all that kind of stuff. I was happy to see that. I was happy to see that. Um, somehow what we thought was actually what they were thinking too. It's great. You don't need to see them out there. So why bother? Um, but overall, yeah, not nothing too surprising. I guess the only surprising label though is those special teamers, but that's, that makes me happy. That makes me happy that they value them enough to be like, Hey, we're not even going to waste your time with this game. Stay healthy, do your thing. You have your, essentially it's a, Hey, you have your job here. We know what your job is and we value it. So congratulations. You don't have to dress this game. Perfect. That's kind of how I look at that. We are going to talk about the guys that stood out in this game. The guys that maybe struggled in this game. Um, one conversation that I think I want to kick it off with though, I think outside of the punt guide conversation, I think a lot of fans biggest takeaway from this game will be a negative and it will be the play of case Keenum. Um, the backup quarterback for the bills who did start this game. He had two interceptions and a lost fumble did not lead any scoring drives. All right, Luca. So I'm, 
I want to have a conversation about Case Keenum. I know in the second half, Matt Barkley came in and led a big comeback. And a lot of I've seen on Twitter people being like, so should Matt Barkley be able to challenge Case Keenum for the number two job? Should we try to convince Ryan Fitzpatrick to come out of retirement? Um, Do the Bills have a backup quarterback issue? I've seen all these conversations. I understand it, folks. I get it. The Bills had a luxury last year when they had Mitch Trubisky, who is a, a starting caliber quarterback in this league on a cheap backup deal. And we got used to that and comfortable with that. I will just tell you on the Case Keenum front why I am not panicking. And I don't want this to come off as me making excuses for Case Keenum. I try not to be somebody who makes excuses. But Luca, I'm going to tell you why I'm not panicking on Case Keenum. And then we haven't had a chance to talk about this. Maybe you feel differently. I'm, I'm curious to see where you stand on it because it is an important conversation. The backup quarterback is one play away from being the most important player on your team. So I do not take this conversation lightly. Okay. When it comes to quarterbacks, I've heard this analogy before. You have a handful of great quarterbacks in this league who are capable of elevating the talent around them and making them all rise up and play better. And those guys are hard to find. And the Bills have one of those guys. And there's a reason why those guys make contracts. They sign contracts that are nine figures because they are everything in this sport. After those guys, and whatever number you want to cut it off at, maybe we'll just give a nice round number of eight. After those guys, you have about 15 to 20 guys who are there. They're there. If the car is nice, they'll drive it nicely. If the car isn't nice, they're probably not going to look so good. You know, maybe you're thinking of like a Kirk Cousins type quarterback in that scenario. And then after that, you have backup quarterbacks who in a situation where they have to come in, if the team's good around them, they can perform well. If the team's bad, they're probably not going to perform well. Why am I mentioning this? The context of the game this Saturday had the deck stacked against Case Keenum. In most situations, This season, and this is not me being a homer, this is me looking at a bunch of neutral sites like Pro Football Focus, Pro Football Talk, ESPN, the Bills are going to have the more talented team on the field than their opponent based on the power rankings, based on people who analyze these rosters. In most situations, if Case Keenum has to play, he's going to be going on the field with wide receivers and Diggs and Davis who are at least as good as, if not better, than the cornerbacks that are going in front of them. He's going to have an offense around him that's better than the defense that they're facing. He's going to have a defense that's going to keep them in games and probably better than the offense they're facing. He's going to take over a very nice car. What happened on Saturday, and I applaud McDermott for doing this, is despite the fact that Frank Reich and the Colts committed early in the week to playing their starters for what turned out to be a very significant amount of time, Watching this game with my nephew, who was a big Colts fan, he was losing his mind as the starter stayed in the game, drive after drive after drive. He was he was losing it, thinking, what happens if we lose an important player? That's neither here nor there. Case Keenan was in a situation where the Bills had their backup offensive linemen blocking Buckner, blocking Quiddy Pay, blocking Yannick Ndakwe. The, the Bills had their their fourth and fifth wide receivers running routes against Isaiah Rogers and Stefan Gilmore. This was a situation where, yeah, if you have a Josh Allen out there, maybe you can elevate these guys play to the point where they're going to be able to rise up and match up with that competition. Case Keenum is not that guy expecting him to thrive in that situation is not what's going to happen. And that won't be the situation that happens 
if he takes over for Josh, Josh Allen for a handful of games in the regular season, hopefully, I mean, if the bills have a rash of injuries and 15 players are out, then, then who knows, but what does it even matter at that point anyway? Right. What I'm telling you is despite the fact that case Keenum had a bad interception where he overthrew Jamison Crowder, it went off of his hands and it led to a tipped interception. Despite the fact that he held onto the ball too long and got a forced fumble and he had a, I, I can't even begin to tell you what happened on the interception um, going toward the tunnel end of the field right after the Bills. Uh, Jaquan Johnson had an interception. I don't know what he saw in that play. Isaiah Rogers just read it perfectly and it was like he threw it to him instead of, I believe it was intended for Hodgins. I'm not making excuses for Keenum. Keenum played very poorly. The situation Keenum was in on Saturday is not the situation he's going to be in if he's asked to play meaningful snaps for the Bills. And one-to-one, Keenum is a much better player than Matt Barkley. He has a better arm. He has better accuracy. Matt Barkley came in and looked more decisive throwing the ball. And I think there's a reason for that. Players were open for Matt Barkley. Players for Case Keenum were not getting open. And that's because they were outmatched. It was twos going against ones. Case Keenum has a lot to, to, to improve on. He played a poor game. I don't think we need to panic about the backup quarterback situation. I think the Bills have in Case Keenum what a lot of us have thought he was all along. A top 40 to 45 quarterback in this league who is capable of taking over a nice car and keeping it on the road until the driver gets back to take it over and hopefully run it across the finish line. Luca, I just said a lot. I hope it didn't come off like I was making excuses for Case Keenum. I just think that as a fan base, we need to take a deep breath, relax, don't look at the stats, because despite the fact that they both played in the same game, it was not an apples-to-apples apples comparison of what Case Keenum dealt with and what Matt Barkley dealt with on Saturday. So you just wrapped up a solid seven-minute rant, we'll call it there. Um, and I, I agree. I agree. Sorry, six minutes, not seven minutes. I do apologize. Um, I agree. Overall, I don't think you're making excuses. It's it's not an excuse when it's a legitimate conversation and a legitimate point that is being made. I have seen a lot of things out there about how, well, if Case Keenum gets thrown into the starting position, those that's the type of talent he's going to be up against. And that is in an isolated vacuum. Correct. Yes. If he if Allen is down in a game against the Colts, he is going to be facing DeForest Bunkner at the line and Gilmore out, you know, at the corner position and all that stuff. Yes. But as you pointed out, you had Stefan Gilmore up against Jake Kumaro. Like, I don't know anyone that watches football that thinks Jake Kumaro is going to get a step of open against Stefan Gilmore. Stefan Gilmore probably felt like that was a nice walk in the park at times. I, I, I can't even imagine what ones felt like when they had Jameson Crowder's, you know, somewhat of a, he's been around, he's been playing games in the NFL for a long time. But Jake Kumaro, there's a reason Jake Kumaro has really never been used in anyone's offense. And it's because he doesn't actually do things at an elite or worthy of any sort of snap count for any NFL offense. There is a reason Jake Kumaro is Jake Kumaro. So that discussion goes out the window, as you said, when you have your top six offensive line not dressed, you have none of your actual weapons there, no one of substance other than James Cook will probably have 
and uh, yeah, no, James Cook, Zach Moss, maybe he looked decent. I'll just put that out there right now. Um, no one is going to be doing meaningful offensive snaps. Crowder, maybe, but after that game, who knows? Might even be Shakir more. Yeah, your point is valid. I don't understand anyone that can actually go into this and be like, oh, yeah, that is a kind of view into the glass of future reality if Allen goes down. It's like, no, I mean, there's going to be such a different offense built around Case Keenum. Well, it's built for Allen, but will be there for Case Keenum that I would find it hard to believe that he couldn't find some success. I mean, Case Keenum himself looked a lot different for Minnesota when Stefan Diggs was out there. And guess what? He was in an NFC championship game against Nick Foles with that offense. And that offense wasn't as good as the offense he would be presented if everyone else is healthy for this Bills team. So it's a ridiculous conversation. I, I'm with you in some respect. I will say, I think Barkley impressed me a little bit I, again. Everything you said was correct. I'm not disagreeing with anything. I do agree with, though, that Barkley is not as much of a, I don't really care. You know, you're not in the discussion of backup. I mean, if let's put it this way. If you put Barkley in the same situation and maybe he's able to move the ball a little bit more because in reality, Case Keenum could not move that ball at all on Saturday. But if if Matt Barkley all of a sudden can do that with the, the deck stacked against him, now we're talking here. It's like, okay, but you have to put him in that situation. And in reality, he will never be put in that situation because as you said, Case Keenum as a whole has just shown you he is a better quarterback in the NFL than Matt Barkley ever is. And I do think in a one-for-one situation, you will get a much better production out of Case Keenum. He is that dependable backup you can have in this league. So it's a little bit of an overreaction. I mean, it's, it's a solid overreaction from anyone out there that really thinks, hey, we need to reevaluate the backup situation. Unless Matt Barkley wants to do something that no one out there believes and can like chuck 250 yards against scrubs in a half of football, which is just impressive in itself and will not happen, people. It will not happen. Case Keenum's our backup. It's just concerning to see some of the decisions. I will also say that interception, so that was actually right on the, that was the closest point to where I was sitting that was just a great play by the corner. I really think there was something going on with Hodgins. I don't know if it's miscommunication or whatnot. He kind of just was doing just that streak fade there. And, but the impressive part about the corner and it's blanking me again, was it Rogers? Isaiah Rogers. He's a really nice player. Yeah. Very nice player. He actually, so I think Hodgins did one stutter step or something to that nature as he wanted. He just kept continuing on the sideline. And when he did that, Rogers actually turned his head around while sticking with Hodgins. And that doesn't happen by a lot of corners. A lot of corners are pretty much focused on the receiver or the player they're defending. And he actually turned around to check what the quarterback was doing. And that was luckily for him when Keenum was releasing the ball. So he knew he could just squat on that. He he had his eyes on the quarterback while also defending the receiver all at the same time. And he just perfectly played the ball. Like that was an unbelievable play by him, in my opinion. Watching that live, it was just like, I don't know if it was a combination of a miscommunication, but overall, that is just an incredible play by Rodgers to have his eyes on the quarterback while covering a receiver going downfield and basically jumping that route and running it better than the receiver. Very, very impressive. Again, I don't know if there was also miscommunication in there or whatever. Very unfortunate for Keenum. It's probably a ball that he would love to not have thrown. 
great play by the corner as well. Like you have to give the props to him. It was, it was very, very like I watched the replay at the game and I was just like, Holy crap. That's a really good corner. Like it, it was just like when I, I mean, I know of Rogers, I just always blank on his name, mm-hmm. but man, it was like, Holy crap. That was, I was very impressed with him having his eyes on the QB that I just, I cannot talk about it enough. That does not happen. Like I feel like a lot of corners, the elite corners of course do that kind of stuff. But other than that, you do not see that all the time. And it was a very impressive play on his part, but yeah, to, to wrap it all up in a nice little bow here, not overly concerned. I thought all of your points on case Keenum, very, very good. I thought exactly. It puts into perspective that everyone needs to really see I feel like we all want to be emotional and react to something. And it's, you know, the camp reports were that Keenan was struggling a little bit. And then all of a sudden we see this kind of snowballs a little bit, put perspective in it and just understand this is not the situation Keenan would be thrusted into if he's a true backup in a game that matters. You would hope unless there's a lot of injuries and then my hundred dollar bet becomes a huge concern. Um, you would hope that that is not going to be the case and he will have a majority, if not all the ones out there on offense to help him out. And I would imagine there's going to be a lot different of a result. I would imagine too. Let's talk a little bit about the deck that was stacked against him. The entire offensive lineman sat, sat, um, excuse me, sat, which we talked about and including, um, both right tackles to the point where Greg Van Roten was starting at center. And that is not his natural position. That could be a bad sign. For Gray Mance. We talked about last week on the podcast that the Bills could be forced to play Ryan Bates this week just because they may not have anybody capable of playing center, obviously, with Mitch Morris not playing. I am glad Sean McDermott did what we said and just said, hey, I don't care if this game goes awful on offensive line. I'm not risking Ryan Bates when everybody else out there is a backup around him. The starting guards for this game were Bobby Hart and Cody Ford. And then at right tackle, it was Luke Tenuta, the Bills' seventh-round pick. And at left tackle, it was Tommy Doyle. Um, I just have some quick thoughts on these guys. Um, I, I've seen some highlights of Cody Ford. And at, at this point, it just feels like we're piling on. Um, he got spun around like a top on one play, and it was embarrassing. Um, maybe he played well, and somebody will notice it. I know you know, I have a ton of respect for Joe Biscaglia. He continues to say that he thinks Cody Ford is going to make the 53-man roster because the Bills value him as a depth player that they've seen do at least decent. I don't understand it. I am starting to be a little impressed with Bobby Hart since he has moved to guard. And the fact that in the same sense, if you can think about this as a Daryl Williams, the fact that Bobby Hart as a depth offensive lineman who can play, we'll call it decent at guard, um, also has NFL experience at tackle as a backup on game day. If you were to lose one of your tackles and you have somebody on your roster who's active that could go get you out of a game there. I think that's, that's impressive. Um, Luke Tenuta. I, um, I feel like, I feel like Luca, there's a better chance that Luke Tenuta is a trivia question five years from now versus any kind of name that bills fans. Remember, it's going to be who was the seventh round pick for the bills in 2022. And one of us will be like, was it Luke Tanuda? And you'll say, that's a name I haven't thought about for about four years. He does not look like an NFL player to me. And that's fine. You know, like you're not going to hit on all your draft picks. I could be dead wrong on this. Maybe he's a developmental tackle. They stra- they, uh, they stash on the practice squad and he develops into a player that ends up being important to this team's future. I don't see it. I don't think he has the necessary athleticism. He looks stiff out there. Um, I don't see him as any kind of great prospect. 
Uh, Van Roten, to me, actually, despite not playing his natural position, did show some really good movement skills, I thought, at times. Um, but in general, Luca, I came away from this game thinking that like none of these backup offensive linemen really flashed anything that got me excited about, man, if one of our starters goes down, we're in good shape. Overall, I'm with you. I don't think anyone showed a flash of anything that I thought was worthwhile. The Cody Ford stuff, man, I just, I get if they want to fall on their sword, we'll call it, with Cody Ford, and they're really going to just go at all lengths to see if he can be anything. But you pointed it out. There was one play he got put in a blender, and it just looked horrible. When you are trying to kind of create this counter argument of being like, hey, Bobby Hart's not looking too bad at guard. Maybe there's something there for it, and it's turning you on Bobby Hart, and that's kind of probably incidentally in comparison to performances like Cody Ford. And overall, again, none of these guys were starters for us. Your your backups next to backups. It's not a pretty sight at offensive line as a whole. But when you start to have those kinds of thoughts, that's to me going, yeah, that's not a good sign for someone that you want to have hope for like Cody Ford. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's not really worth warranting any time. I think your Tenuta thing, yeah, he looked not good. He looked like a seventh round pick, though. Like, yeah, I'm not going to expect a lot out of a seventh round pick. And just overall, no one kind of did anything that made me go, oh, wow, or be impressed or think differently about the backups. A little bit concerned, but overall, their backups, it, backups are going to do backup things and not look very impressive anyways, especially, you know, in that first half, which we have highlighted already was against ones backups against ones. That's pretty much the result you would expect. It is what it is. That's kind of all I got on it. I would just tell you, Bills fans, that not to freak out. Uh, if you're worried that your team doesn't have good offensive line depth, that puts you in the same camp as about 32 other teams. Because offensive line depth right now is just something that's not really existent in the league. There's just there's not enough good offensive linemen to fill the need of the offensive line positions that are available in the NFL. It's just one of those things where I heard somebody, and I don't get too deep into this. Some, it was like a couple of years ago on Chopin Bulldogs. Somebody was analyzing um, why it's so hard to find good offensive linemen, and what they said was interesting is that at a young age the players that are bigger and faster, you know, like the players that have a shot to play offensive linemen that are like the blue chip athletes, they would rather play defense because like, think about someone like a boogie Basham, right? Like young age, big player, big, strong, fast, like probably going to be an elite college player and get drafted in the NFL. Okay. Do you want to be the guy that's like blocking and never gets credit for anything except when you have a holding penalty? Or do you want to be the guy that's potentially sacking the quarterback 10 times a game? That's why you're seeing these players that have the build to play offensive line or playing defense. And it's just becoming a situation where the offensive line in the NFL, the situation right now is there's not enough talent to go around. I think you find yourself a good backup tackle. You figure out who's going to be your backup center. If something happens to Mitch Morse and you just figure it out, if something happens to a guard. And if you have that all figured out, you're in pretty good shape. And I think between Questenberry and Brown and maybe Doyle, the Bills are probably fairly comfortable with where they're sitting at tackle. And I think they look at Ryan Bates as their backup center and they'll just figure out what happens at guard at that point in time if Bates has to go play center. I am tired of being negative, Luca. 
The Bills won a game. The punt God was amazing. And there were a lot of things to like from that game. And I feel like we've done a lot of complaining and I feel like it's mainly my fault because I brought up the negatives. Let's talk about some things that got me excited from yesterday's game. And I'm sorry, Saturday's game. And that one of them is the play of the two rookie cornerbacks, first round pick Kair Elam and Christian Benford, fifth round pick, Lucas, am I right on that? Or sixth round pick? I, I cannot remember. I believe it was sixth round pick. Sixth round pick, uh, Christian Benford. Funny, interesting comment about Benford. Cynthia Freeland, who was doing sideline reporting for the Bills um, telecast, said that she had been getting calls from NFL GMs and personnel asking if Benford was going to make the roster obviously because they have their eye on him. If the bills were to cut him or try to get him on the practice squad, they try to scoop him up. He is obviously catching eyes of executives around the league. Luca, you were in attendance. I want to get your feel for how he played, but I will just tell you from the outset, these guys have been getting worked over in camp by arguably the best quarterback in football, Josh Allen, arguably one of the best wide receivers in football, Stefan Diggs and arguably somebody that a lot of people are projecting to be one of the best number two receivers in football this year in Gabe Davis. So you brought it up earlier, Michael Pittman, nice player, you know, good player, Alec Pierce, nice prospect, good prospect, Matt Ryan, not one of the best quarterbacks in football, not in the top five, but a respectable top 10 to 15 ish quarterback at this point in his career. This was a good challenge, but also a chance for these guys to step down a little bit in weight class and see how they held up. I thought both of these guys held up very well. There was a play where Kair Elam essentially ran Alec Pierce's route for him. I believe it was on the first drive on a quick little in cut and uh, Elam broke on the ball and knocked it away. Beautiful play. Benford lined up on uh, Pittman on one play and knocked it down on third down. Just a tremendous play on his part. I thought Elam was strong in run support early. He did have a play... I want to say in the second quarter where he was trying to tackle Philip Lindsay and it looked like Philip Lindsay drug him for a few yards. Look, the book on Kair Elam is he needs to work on his tackling. What I'm encouraged by is it's not a willingness issue. It's not like he's shying away from tackles. He just isn't necessarily good at it yet. I think if the willingness is there with a cornerback of his size and athletic skill set, that you can get the rest of it. It's when a tackle is just, you know, I love Nate Clements, but let's be honest, Nate Clements ran away from more running backs than he did toward them in his career. Um, if, if that's the case, then I don't know if you're ever going to get it coached into him. But Kyer Elam, I think the willingness is there. But to me, Luca, I think both of these guys um, played well. I think both of these guys gave us some confidence against what I would consider good, not great competition um, that if. Tredavious White, and I think it is trending this way, if Tredavious White misses games early in the season, that if one of these two has to step in opposite Dane Jackson and start on the boundary, that they can probably hold up. I think Elam had a good, not great day, did have a did have one penalty on pass interference where, you know, we, we've seen this where he got beat off the line and then panicked and then just started grabbing the receiver and it's an automatic first down. You, you really like to see him try to recover within the route and see if he can find a way to to not give a free first down there, even if the ball, you know, there's a chance the ball doesn't come to your receiver, even though he beats you, or try to recover with your speed because you have elite speed. We want to see him work on that. Overall, very strong day for Elam. But my goodness, Luca, Christian Benford is a guy that we've heard about hype from camp, 
And then this was the first time that a lot of us that didn't haven't been able to go to camp got to put eyeballs on him. I am trying not to get overly excited about him because of the fact that he's a late round pick, but he looks like the real deal to me. And you were in the stand, so you had an opportunity to really focus on him. What did you see from Christian Benford? Christian Benford did not look like a day three, sixth round pick. I was very impressed. Like pre-snap positioning, obviously that's a lot of coaching and stuff, but pre-snap positioning, his ability to jump on anything in front of him, that breakup that you mentioned, huge. I think he had another fourth down breakup as well. There there was a lot of positives. It was it was very hard to come up with any sort of criticism for Benford. And I'm with you. I'm trying not to get overexcited. It's a it's week one of preseason. It, it's our first preseason game. It's the first look we have. You don't want to be emotional about it. But I know I wrote it down in our notes here, and I just I want to relay this, and I want to bring this point. There is a world, and I am currently leaning in this world right now, not living leaning, because I'm not fully two feet in. It's probably a foot and a toe. <laughs> but there is a world where Christian Benford is probably starting opposite Dane Jackson week one at LA. And, and I know we talk, we've talked in the past and I know you've brought this up to me before again, where there's probably the reality of a rotation happening opposite Dane between the two rookie corners. If those are the two that they're looking at for that. But when I say start, I mean the first drive, this defense comes out there. I believe he's number 47. If I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. 47 will be opposite of Dane Jackson for that drive, for that series. That is what I am imagining right now, based on what I saw. And it's nothing against Kair. You brought up great things that he did in this game. There was that PI call. It kind of goes into his grabbiness and all of that kind of stuff. That hopefully will be coachable. I think your point also on Kair, and I do want to talk about Kair because I loved majority of the things that Kair did. It's The knocks on Kair right now are the things we have heard about kind of expect or expected because of what we've been hearing. And hopefully those are things that can be curbed. But your point on the willingness to tackle is huge. You want someone that's willing to do something that hopefully they can just get better at. You can't get better at tackling if you're not willing to do it. That's kind of uh, seems to go hand in hand if I'm thinking about that. So yes, you may criticize his tackling or not getting the you know, the player down immediately, but as long as he's getting involved and trying to run down and get tackles to happen, the it's slowing it down. Like it's still a positive thing overall. If you have a defensive player out there that is not willing to come downfield and get at a running back at all. Now you're kind of technically undermanned on defense. If he is not willing to do that, you now only have 10 defenders willing to do that. You think, and that's not a good thing. You want that because you need everybody out there to hopefully slow down the play as much as they possibly can. You can't have one player out there not willing to do it at all because yes, maybe Lindsay did drag him a few yards, but he, he at least had his hands on him. He was trying to get him down and you know, hopefully the defense is going to come along and just finish the play out. That's great. That's a positive play to me. Can it get better? Absolutely. But the willingness to be in that situation and go get it. I love. But back to Benford, man, it is just, he's a sixth round pick. He's a day three pick. I, I, I'm i 95% sure is sixth round, but I'm going to say he is. Oh, so let me, let me talk about that for one second. I know why I got confused. I know why you got confused. We, we have in our notes. It's amazing that a fifth round pick could play this well. 
we also have in our notes, it's amazing that a sixth round pick can play this well because Shakir is a fifth round pick. That's probably what's messing with your brain too, because we're going to yeah. talk about Shakir in a second too. So our brains are just messing with us on Bill's info overload. Christian Minford was a sixth round pick. Thank you. Yeah. So sixth round pick. I, my memory was good. Perfect. Our notes are good. But um, it's it's incredible to see out the gate a late day three pick, sixth round going out. And honestly, he didn't, you know, he didn't go over Kair. He's just almost as good reliably out there as a Kair Elam who we spent a first round pick on. Like, and again, the talent may not be the same. I mean, I don't think they're the same kind of corners. They're not. They're they're honestly pretty different. Um, it's just he knew his frame, he knows his ability, and he seems to be just capitalizing very well on the great coaching that I am sure he is receiving from this staff. And just his instincts and abilities are much better than what you would expect out of a sixth round pick. It's clear as day. This is not a sixth round guy. That is kind of where my head's at. It's like, holy crap, this actually could be a day two guy that just because he went to Villanova and it just he's not a name at all fell to that sixth round spot. Maybe McDermott and and Bean and all of them. They might have found a diamond in the rough, and that doesn't mean they found a superstar or anything like that in the sixth round, but they clearly found a guy that now I am instantly, this is where my overreaction is or where my emotional reaction is. They have clearly found a guy that is worthy of a 53-man roster confidently after this one game. There is no world where he does not make this roster. That The tweet you referenced and the, the other teams reaching out to see if he's going to make this roster that had to have been met now with laughs of no, he's making this roster. This is it's unbelievable. That's all you could ask for out of a sixth round pick too, by the way, that's all you could ask for be good enough to make the roster. And on top of that, he actually is a guy where me personally sitting right now, as I mentioned, a foot and a toe 55% right now, I am thinking he is starting opposite Dane Jackson because most likely Trey White is not going to be ready week one. He is starting week one against the Rams opposite Dane Jackson. I am kind of leaning there right now. Again, probably under a rotation. It's just still to to fathom that a sixth round pick is going to get the first series of that game. Unbelievable. It's a credit to him. It That's all it is. It's unbelievable how impressive he was. And it's amazing. And I love it. I love everything. I want to root for this guy so bad. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's incredible. Like I I can't say incredible enough. I want to spam that word. It's amazing. And I'm so happy for him. I'm so happy for this staff and Brandon Bean to seemingly found a guy who probably the way he played against the Colts and against Pittman and the way he was reacting, that is day two stuff. That is second, third round kind of uh, instinct and play that you would expect. And it's just, it's a credit to everyone. It's fantastic. It's, it's depth that we did not expect to get at this point in time, not even remotely. We were talking about Cam Lewis potentially being, you know, going Trey, Dane, Kyrie, and Cam Lewis as your four. I mean, it's not like Cam had a bad day yesterday or Saturday either. It's just Benford has come out of nowhere and he is a legitimate guy for this roster and can be a reliable 53 man guy going forward. And I just, I don't think it's crazy to say that. And we're only week one in the preseason, not a crazy statement at all. I know you probably agree with me on that. And it's hundred percent. 
it's I love it. I love it so much. That unexpected treat and surprise is just fantastic. I want I want this guy to just be a stud going forward because everything he's shown so far, far everything that we have heard about him so far has been nothing but fantastic news. And I just hope the trajectory keeps going up further and further. Like I want him to be a stud and really hoping going forward, nothing like kind of pulls him back down to earth. It's like found money. It's like finding a $20 bill in your couch cushions that you didn't even know was there. A sixth round pick on a cornerback that could end up starting in place of your all pro cornerback, which is a hole that we've been wondering who's going to fill it all off season. And it would be interesting if after spending a first round pick on Kair Elam, who again played very well, if he were to not be the answer because of Christian Benford, it's a cool story and it doesn't have to be an either or situation. I think a lot of times fans feel like they have to choose in this situation. Like, Oh, if we get too excited about Benford, we're not giving Elam is just due. Or if Benford's great, then that means Elam's a bus. Like, no, they can both be good. This, this, this coaching staff has an unbelievable track record of maximizing defensive backs. They get their hands on. And in Elam, you have this blue chip prospect who may not be starting off his NFL career Um, as good as Benford. Maybe he is, maybe they're both even, but the fact that the sixth round pick is coming in and potentially going to be a day one starter for the bills. Unbelievable. And let's just talk about quickly recapping tonight. The things we criticized case Keenum, uh, Luke Tenuta, uh, Cody Ford. Those are guys that unless things go very wrong are probably not going to be important players in the bills. 2022 season. Christian Benford and Kair Elam playing well yesterday and in Benford's case, building on what has been a very strong camp is very important because one of these two is very likely going to be starting opening night against Allen Robinson and Cooper cup. So while it's fun to be not fun, but it's like, Oh, what's going on with our seventh offensive lineman or do we have a backup quarterback that can lead this team? We're talking about tangible opportunities here for players to step in and play meaningful roles early And Benford looks like somebody who is taking advantage of that situation. Now, you mentioned Cam Lewis. I think there'll be a time down the line where we can talk about 53-man roster predictions. But I just want to put this in everybody's mind as we start. It's very easy to sit here and be like, oh, he's a roster lock. We're going to talk about some receivers down the line. It's going to be like, oh, well, he, he played himself onto the 53. And then you start talking about like, oh, well, uh, we may talk about a running back. It's like maybe he played himself onto the 53. It's important to know. That 53 is not a negotiable number and numbers get filled up pretty quickly. So I'm just going to give one example of how that can happen. Last year coming out of training camp, when the Bills made their initial 53-man roster, they had five cornerbacks on their roster. This year, if Tredavious White is healthy, big if, he could start the season on Pup. I hope not, but he could. If Tredavious White is healthy, I count the Bills having six roster locks at cornerback guys that absolutely are not getting cut. That is Tredavious white, Teron Johnson, Dane Jackson, Kyir Elam, Christian Bedford, and Saran Neal. All six of those guys locks. You might say, Oh, Saran Neal. No, they love Saran Neal. They signed him to a contract extension this offseason. He did not even dress yesterday. He is a Swiss army knife on defense. He's one of their best special teamers, and he's a guy that can get them out of a game at cornerback nickelback linebacker and safety. He is as lock as lock gets six cornerbacks. That doesn't even mention cam Lewis, 
who Luca already mentioned was flying around the field yesterday. These are the conversations, the thought processes, the exercises you have to go through in building a 53-man roster. If you're going to have another spot or two for cornerback, where does that come from? Maybe that's where you have to have not somebody that's just a kick returner. Maybe you have to have a wide receiver or a running back that also is your kick returner to free up a roster spot. Keep those thoughts in the back of your mind as we progress through the summer, because at some point, Luca and I will do a 53-man roster prediction show, and we're going to have some tough, tough conversations. But Luca and I are absolutely aligned. Christian Benford will be on the week one roster. All right, let's talk about somebody else who played well yesterday, Luca. Boogie Basham. I keep saying yesterday, Saturday. I don't know why I keep saying yesterday. Boogie Basham played well. He beat Jordan Murray for a strip sack that Terrell Bernard picked up and scoop and scored. Now, I will say about this. Jordan Murray is the third offensive tackle for the Colts. They had a situation where their backup offensive tackle was out with a brief injury, and then Jordan Murray came in. So while it was great to see Boogie Basham flash some pass rush, get in the backfield, disrupt a play, and cause a defensive touchdown, that's a matchup he needs to win, and he won it. To his credit, he won it. But I'm not going to get overly excited that Boogie Basham has turned a corner. It sounds like he's had a decent camp by his standards. It sounds like he's done a good job to change his body around. But I would pump the brakes on any kind of Boogie Basham has arrived conversation. Let's take it in the context of its preseason. It was a cool moment. He got faced with a matchup that if Boogie Basham is going to be a good player for us, he needs to win. He won it. But other than that, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, man, Boogie Basham is going to be a star. It's way too early for any of that. I'm not going to say that about anybody out of a preseason game, but good to see Boogie Basham making the most of his opportunity. A couple other guys on defense that popped to me, Luca, and I'll kick it back to you. Um, Jaquan Johnson just continues to be a steady Eddie anytime his name is called. Um, just a great nose for the football, had a tipped interception. Um really plays his position well when he has to fill in for Poyer or Hyde. We mentioned Cam Lewis, and I would be remiss if I did not mention Tim Settle, who absolutely looks like a starting caliber defensive lineman. There is a video going around that Eric Turner of Cover One posted where he is walking Quentin, or I'm sorry, um, Nelson from the Colts into the lap of Matt Ryan and by most accounts, Nelson is the best guard or the second best guard in the entire league. And Settle is walking him in to the lap of Matt Ryan. It was a sight to see. Settle was disruptive all over the field. And then um, the last one I'll mention is Balen Specter. He was all over the field. He, he had some good plays on defense. He actually did have the um, the green dot on his helmet. He was calling plays. And Luca, I know you you noticed him in the stands as a player that stood out to you. Um, so of those players, Specter, Settle, Jaquan Johnson, Boogie Basham, anything there defensively that really stood out to you? Basham definitely had a good day, but on the defensive line, Tim Settle was the one that popped. And the video you referenced, it was visible in the stands. And there were many other plays where Tim Settle off the snap, right off the on the jump, boom, was just he was chaos. And there is nothing you could ask more from an interior defensive lineman than chaos. It was beautiful. It was perfect. It gets you very excited about this defensive line depth because Settle's kind of a guy. I know last week when we were talking about who would you not even dress going into this game, Tim Settle was not a guy we said that shouldn't be dressing in this game. And yet he went out there and made an impact against ones that you're like, holy crap. As you mentioned, I mean, against Nelson, Nelson is regarded as possibly the best guard 
in the league. You mean he he was a guy even coming into the league where it was like guaranteed Hall of Famer, and it's not like he has been a disappointment from that remark. He Tim Settle, awesome, like just unbelievable day out there. So excited for him. Um, Jaquan Johnson, steady Eddie is a perfect way. Yeah, I just real quick, I I don't want to go too crazy on this, but Balen Specter, he was noticeable, honestly, like. We might have a discussion further later about another linebacker, but Balen Specter, like, had he was noticeable. He was getting to the ball quick. Everything about him, he was standing out among the other linebackers that he was out on the field with every time. He was the guy you were like, okay, he's he's got a nose for the ball. He's getting there quick. He's getting to the play. He's making things happen as you would expect from his position. He was doing a very, very good job. And it's just another example of finding some great depth talent potentially for this team moving forward. He was a highlight out there. Not anything that was like over the top, but again, very noticeable to the point of you are impressed with someone of his caliber and where we have gotten him from. It's great to see. I, I loved I loved watching him out there. He from the stands, you could tell he was making an impact and that was fantastic. And we've mentioned he has a great opportunity to make this roster due to the suspension of Andre Smith, who's going to miss the first six games of the year. Some linebacker is going to benefit from that while Smith is out. And why not Spectre? Uh, let's wrap up defense because I know we want to have a larger conversation about wide receivers. Let's go ahead and talk about um, that other linebacker you were talking about. Terrell Bernard did have maybe the play of the game with the scoop and score after the boogie basham forced fumble. Ball went right to him. He takes it back for a touchdown. I will say, Luca, for a guy who scored a touchdown on defense, I was not impressed with Terrell Bernard. I'm interested to see if you have any thoughts because you were in the stadium. Um, but just watching him, he seemed a little bit slow. Um, he he definitely seemed like in coverage he was trailing a lot. Um, it seemed like he was slow to not only run with the guy he was covering, but slow to react. And that just does not line up with the scouting report we've been hearing from camp. Uh, as a guy that really has been excelling in coverage. So, you know, maybe it was a one-off afternoon. My theory on this, and this is just a theory, is the fact that he was responsible as the middle linebacker for the line calls. Maybe he was just a little bit overwhelmed. Like instead of just playing his assignment, playing assignment football, playing fast and free, he was overwhelmed with trying to make sure everybody else was lined up where they were supposed to. You remember this is backups going against starters. Maybe he, Maybe there was too much on his plate. He definitely looked like a guy that was overthinking. Like he's not an insane athlete by any means, but I think he's a better athlete than he showed. And I know Luca, there was a play to you that really stood out like, man, he's really trailing in coverage here. Yeah. The play, I'll just get it right out of the way. The fourth and eight late in the second quarter, just, it was right before the two minute warning. I believe actually fourth and eight, understandably, you know, the Colts wanted to go for this. And I mean, it was him and him alone that just could not follow a, a rookie tight end, just running a simple, you know, drag route right across the line of scrimmage, just hit. Uh, I think it was Ryan still in at this point, hits him on a check down real quick just to see if he can make a play. And yeah, like Bernard just could not keep up with him. I don't even think he got credit for the tackle. Eventually, I want to say it was Jaquan, Jaquan Johnson that ended up getting the tackle or was, I believe it was a force out. Um to allow them to convert. And then they inevitably went down the field and scored a touchdown again. It's preseason. So result doesn't matter, but it's just, it's a highlight. And I do think what you brought up as a point is very, very valid. I think he was always a step behind every play. It just seemed when I was, whenever I had the chance to pay attention to him, 
you know, from snap to finish. It just seemed like he had, he was a step behind. It wasn't all there. Even the scoop and score uh, off air. We talked about it. It just seemed like he was a little slow as he was getting to the end zone. Who knows? Maybe he was just like overthinking what was around him. And I think it was Cam Lewis trailing with him. Whoever it was, was almost like, Hey kid, just like run it into the end zone. Like, what are we doing here? It, it maybe maybe that is his speed. Maybe it's we're, we were expecting more out of him. Who knows? I'm kind of with you. I think I lean more to the there was a lot on his plate and he was just overthinking everything. And what you cannot get caught dead doing out there is thinking about everything. You need to just react. You got to just on the front foot react, especially with what this defense probably is asking him to do. Of course, he's in charge of a lot being the mic and whatnot, but. <sighs> You just got to react. You got to go off instinct. You cannot be questioning or thinking about anything. Once that ball snapped, do your job. Things like that. Just clear your head. I, it it does seem like there was a lot of thought going into it, and he just was thinking himself into the point of he was always a step behind. Hopefully, it's a one-off. Who knows? Um, I, I'm not like overly concerned about everything. I think that fourth and eight was just brutal. Like you would expect an athlete that you at least have been hearing about would be able to stop him. Um, just a simple, I mean, it was just a simple, just tight end crossing across the middle, two yards down the field, and then just ran to the first down. It, you would hope a guy like Bernard would pick that up. It is what it is. He was definitely a step or two even behind him. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a little concerning. It's not, again, we're talking about a backup linebacker for this team when it matters, but yeah, I, I, I like your point. I like, I like, uh, thinking that he was just had a lot on his plate and he was just thinking too much about everything going on. That is a definite thing. I mean, we, I think we all can relate to our lives and whatnot. When you overthink things, sometimes you just forget a lot or you're just behind everything and it just bottles up on you. That could be the scenario here. Let's fingers crossed to that. But um, overall, it was a tough day at the office for him. That's all it is. I mean, let's let's hope it was just a tough day at the office. He can shrug it off and just become the player that we hope he can be. And he knows he is. So it is what it is. Yep. Game one preseason uh, rookie linebacker. He did not. He did not probably play a game that he's going to look back on finally outside of scoring that touchdown. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. He's definitely a player that we will have our eyes on as this preseason continues because he is someone that could be in a very important role for the Bills, not only this year as a backup linebacker, but moving forward as they have some tough decisions to make on both Milano and Edmonds' contract situation. All right, Luca, let's get back to the offensive side of the ball because I think after backup quarterback and, of course, the punt god, the biggest talking point coming out of this game was the play of the wide receivers, both good when it comes to um, Khalil Shakir, and Isaiah Hodgins, and then bad, uh, I don't want to say bad, but maybe defining what he is in Jamison Crowder. So let's get into it. First of all, Khalil Shakir, a fifth round pick that on draft day, almost everybody who covers the draft universally said that the Bills got a steal in and throughout camp has been getting rave reviews as a guy that can line up inside and outside. Luca referenced last week a play he made in the blue and red scrimmage that kind of went viral uh, with a big catch again on a ball thrown by Matt Barkley in the end zone contested catch. And then here he is um, first game of the season preseason on an offense that's loaded up with backups and comes out on the first drive, makes a big catch, ends up posting a stat line of five catches for 92 yards, take stats in preseason for what they are. 
um, did well versus the Colts. But to Luca, Luca, I want to kick this back to you because we talked about this a little bit about Khalil Shakir. It's one thing for him to show he can help the team this year. I think we all felt like he could do that. But he is potentially filling a need for this team that you and I have been concerned about since before the draft happened. And what we saw yesterday makes me feel a lot better about their wide receiver situation. Uh, 1,000%. The fact that this staff, first preseason game, went out there and lined him up everywhere. He was getting snaps at every possible spot he could as a weapon for this offense. And he did a great job with all of that workload and what he was asked to do. It Yes. The outside receiver question we have we have had for months now, it gives me a much more warm, warm and cozy feeling, we'll call it, that Shakir could step in when you need and fill that role whenever we need it to be filled. It's again, it's Davis and Diggs. I don't know why I said it in that order, but again, those are your outside, those are your boundary guys. But the other thing too about it is they are comfortable bringing Shakir in and putting wherever you need him. So maybe there's even packages they will f- figure out and want to work in where you have Shakir out wide and you have all of a sudden digs at the slot just to create a different bit, different matchup. And you can still have Shakir be a legitimate weapon where he is, but then now you have digs against someone's nickel corner or God forbid, if it depending on motion or whatever, I mean, maybe even get him on the linebacker. And uh, I think everyone will take that matchup all day long. So it just opens up the playbook and the possibilities and everything like that to have a utility that is Khalil Shakir. And I'm so excited. Again, it's another guy we have somehow gotten in the fifth uh, when it comes to the draft fifth round, got him. And he is just almost exceeding. I will say almost because he's exceeding a lot of people's expectations. I love this kid. Like it wasn't exactly someone we talked about pre-draft because you're not talking about guys you're going to get on day three. But he was definitely someone that it's like, I mean, when he was playing college ball, it it was again, it was this exact thing that we're seeing. He was all over. I mean, he was getting he was getting snaps at running back position and whatnot, because at the school he was at Boise State, you just want your best athlete out there and you want to get the ball in his hand and do as much as you can with that player. Khalil can be that guy. I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar like that in the NFL, at least not yet. But he is already someone that this staff trusts to kind of use as that offensive weapon, use as that utility to try to do different creative things with this offense potentially moving forward and just expand the abilities that is everyone else in this unbelievable offense we have with 17 driving the ship. It's just it's so exciting to see something work out in that way. And it's an, it's another unexpected surprise. It's another $20 bill we have found on the street and it is paying great dividends, hopefully moving forward. Cover one put out a tweet today that, um, they did the research and Khalil Shakir played 41.7% of his snaps on the outside yesterday in game one, which just tells the whole story of the bills do not view him as a slot only receiver. So when you look at how this roster is setting up, right? So you have Diggs and Davis on the outside. You have McKenzie who did not even dress for the game yesterday. That is that should be a sign for how far ahead of Jamison Crowder who we are going to get into is in the slot role. So what you have there is you have your top 3 and then with your fourth receiver, you want somebody 
who, like Gabe Davis, his first year in the league when the Bills had Diggs and John Brown and Cole Beasley, can come in when any one of those guys needs a breather, any one of those guys needs a spell and play for him. And that is what you want in a fourth receiver on game day. And that's where I want to have a Jamison Crowder conversation, Luca. And we will get into Isaiah Hodgins, but I think this is where the appropriate time is to bring up Jamison Crowder. Yes, there was the interception that went off Jamison Crowder's hands. Jamison Crowder should have caught the ball. It was a bad ball by Keenum. Keenum, the ball sailed on him. It went off his hands. It was an easy tip interception. But for a guy who is at this point, what seems like decisively behind in the slot receiver battle to McKenzie, he needs to take advantage of his opportunities because what do we know about the Bills wide receiver room right now? We mentioned the big three and we know Khalil Shakir is going to make this roster. So there's the big four. Crowder as a backup receiver, then if he is not the starting slot receiver, he doesn't offer you anything on special teams. He doesn't offer you anything outside flexibility. What he is, is a very similar mold to Cole Beasley. And I don't say that lightly. Cole Beasley was a very important player for the Bills, but he is a specific slot receiver who finds voids in zones. But what do we know about the Bills and what I think we're knowing or learning about Ken Dorsey? Ken Dorsey looks like the way the Bills are building this offense, like he is trying to find guys who can play multiple roles on offense. Think about James Cook, the versatility of lining them up in the backfield, lining them up in the slot. Think about the what they can do with Dawson Knox, inline tight end, out wide. Think about everything Luca just said about Khalil Shakir, how he can line up outside in the slot. He could even line up in the backfield. He did that. Some of that in college Diggs and Davis both have versatility to go into the slot and outside. When you have players on your offense that can open up your entire playbook without having specific designed skill sets, it just, it makes your offense so much more multiple. So if you're the bills and you come out with Diggs, Davis, and let's say Shakir in this situation, You can envision a scenario where any one of those three guys lines up in the slot. You can envision a scenario where Shakir lines up in the backfield and gives the Bills a two-back set. You can do so many many chess matchup games with your offensive pieces, whereas when Jamison Crowder comes on the field, the defense immediately knows he's going to the slot and he's probably going to be running a zone-beater concept. So I'm not minimizing what Jamison Crowder is doing for the Bills, but if he's not in a starting role, I'm starting to question Luca what his overall value is to this team as a guy who really only gives you value at one position, doesn't provide any fourth down value on special teams, and only really provides as a direct back backup to Isaiah McKenzie. And from what we've seen out of Khalil Shakir, how much better of a backup to Isaiah McKenzie is Crowder? Or if you could just save a roster spot and say, if something happens to McKenzie, Shakir goes in there, but Shakir can also back up Diggs and Davis and also return punts. The bills don't save any money by cutting Jamison Crowder. That's the other thing is it's pretty much a a roster spot situation. They won't save any money against the cat by cutting him. But Luca, are we getting to a point as we're starting to get to the middle of August where Jamison Crowder's roster spot is starting to come into question? I think you have it a little bit more in question than I do. Um, I still overall big picture imagine Jamison Crowder on this 53 man roster at this point in time. Um, what I will say is every point you have made there very valid. Uh, you want weapons 
that can do as much as they possibly can. But when you have a guy like Jamison Crowder, who is very, very good at the specific role they are, unless someone else blows you away to the point of an... So, and we're probably going to talk about, you know, Isaiah Hodgins or whatever. If Isaiah Hodgins just keeps blowing you away and can provide things for you that you just did not expect at all going into camp and going into these preseason games, where you now really have to reevaluate some of those guys that are specialists or whatnot, then they're still going to be on this team because Jamison Crowder still gives you a value of, I mean, there's a reason they went out and signed him. There's a reason that he is on this team since free agency opened up. Essentially you have your role. He's valuable for that. He's very good at it. He has been in the league for a long time doing that exact job. And there's a reason for it, but what you are saying is absolutely correct. It's, it's starting to leak into the mind here where like, well, if Shakir is going to be even bigger of an impact or can be a bigger impact than we originally thought. And then say in Isaiah Hodgins, who had a very good day himself, and I know you're going to dive into that more later, just keeps trajectorying forward to a much higher level and unexpected level potentially than we thought going into this training camp and preseason schedule. Maybe then, yes, Crowder could find himself to be expendable and then just not find himself here. Overall, I think it's a little quick to be like, hey, Crowder might be finding it. He might be working himself off of this roster, not to his detriment, but just because other people are succeeding at greater heights around him. I don't think we're there yet. It's just something to take note of for sure. I think I'm a little less on that. He might be finding his way out than you are thinking, but overall, um, yeah, it's something to monitor going forward. I think it's something to watch and maybe, maybe this next game could be a make or break for that kind of utility wide receiver, wide receiver six spot. We'll call it. It could be that it, it could be make or break because again, as you even brought it up with corners and stuff, tough decisions are going to be made. I mean, this is what happens when you have one of the deepest rosters in the NFL, when you have one of the best teams in the NFL, there will be tough decisions to be made. And that could be one of them. Jamison Crowder might find himself on the way out. Unfortunately, Cam Lewis, as you brought up, may find his way on the way out. He could start for a lot of other teams. Jamison Crowder can start for a lot of other teams. It's just, unfortunately, our team is very deep and very good. And he just hasn't heightened himself potentially to the point that we would like him to and others have around him. And we're just going to move forward without him. Who knows? I don't put myself there yet. It seems like you maybe are a little further up in that kind of opinion than I am. But overall, it's definitely something to watch going into the next preseason game. I would definitely agree with you on that. I'm intrigued by the conversation. So I, if I had to make a 53-man roster today, I think I would put Jamison Crowder on it. We have to keep in mind this is a team that wants to win a Super Bowl this year and has a realistic chance to do so. And I think that there is a path to... Jamison Crowder playing a very important role in that if the right combination of injuries happen, which is what he is at this point, is a depth player. And I don't rule out the fact that he could still prove to be a better slot receiver than Isaiah McKenzie. That's still within the realm of possibilities here. It's just McKenzie is out to a very strong lead. What I do think is happening here, Luca, and you have to keep in mind the conversation we had about cornerback where we count six locks at this point. The Bills are going to have to find a way to squeeze this roster down to 53 players. 
And if you look at it in the sense of maybe six wide receivers, Davis, Diggs, McKenzie, Shakir are locks. They're not cutting Shakir, obviously, not only because he's a draft pick, but he's playing so well. And then what I think that comes down to is you then have, if you keep six, you have two spots for three players, Jamison Crowder, Jake Kumaro, and Isaiah Hodgins. Before we have that conversation, let's have a quick Isaiah Hodgins conversation. Hodgins was a guy that came out the same year as Gabe Davis, 2020, and a lot of people, um, people that I really trust when it comes to draft breakdowns, one I know is Bruce Nolan, who I just, I think he is fantastic at breaking down draft picks. I believe he said he was more excited about the Hodgins pick than even Davis at the time and had Hodgins rated higher than Davis. And I know he's not alone in that. I I want to say Kendall Merksey from um, Cover One also had a similar rating. I could be getting it confused. I apologize if that's wrong, but those are guys that I really trust and, and listen to when it comes to draft evaluations. Isaiah Hodgins had a lot of fans in the draft community when the Bills took him. Unfortunately, injuries have plagued his career. He has not been able to show what he can do on the football field. And a lot of people have labeled him as a big slot. But what Isaiah Hodgins showed, granted, in one game, but he's had flashes before, before these injuries, was he was able to win on the outside against Colts defensive backs. Did make the play of the game, setting up the the game-tying touchdown with diving catch down the sideline. I was much more, I mean, that that's a great play. It's a splash play. Anytime a receiver makes a diving catch, it's, it's going to make people excited. I was more impressed with the overall fundamentals of his game, the release package he was showing, beating receivers or beating cornerbacks off the line, both in the slot and on the outside. And much like Khalil Shakir, Isaiah Hodgins, with his size, his frame, and the way he finds himself open, he is a unique skill set to this wide receiver core, where if you look at it, trying to build like a basketball team, you have your outside receivers, Diggs and Davis, you have your, your slot receiver who, who's speedy and can take a short pass and make it a long gain in McKenzie. You have your zone beater in Crowder. You have your do everything gadget guy in Shakir. And then Hodgins is this big, maybe even like a jump ball box out receiver with great hands. I like the way that looks, but Luca, we know the bills value special teams. We talked about before how they sat guys like Taiwan Jones and they sat Tyler Matikiewicz. One guy they didn't sit this game was Jake Kumaro. Read into that what you want. What does Isaiah Hodgins have to do for you, Luca, to bump Jake Kumaro off this roster? Does it really come down to can he provide some value on special teams, even if it's not on the same level as a Jake Kumaro? Or is Hodgins just going to have to continue to show that he can be a weapon in the passing game to the point where you don't even really mind if he doesn't provide that special teams value? It might. Oh, that's a great question. Actually, you put me on the spot with that one. Um, I think overall you would like to see, I think, let me put myself. Yeah. Let me put myself in the, like the head of McDermott and the front office and the coaching staff and everything like that. The people making the decisions overall, I think they would rather see something of value come in special teams out of him. Maybe what will be very interesting is if all of a sudden you do see him playing some special teams role uh, come the next preseason game and he makes a play or two and it it catches your attention all of a sudden. And now you're like, OK, this is potentially the Kumaro replacement. And going forward, Kumaro needs to do something to make his value kind of stand still. And based on what we saw, 
it's kind of an uphill battle for Kumaro right now. I again, I don't think it's exactly like I'm saying Kumaro is not destined for this roster. I just think the discussion is definitely being had in that coaching staff and everything involved. It's there. I do think that's the easier path for Hodgins. Now, if Hodgins just keeps really blowing you away, then I don't think special teams comes into it anymore. You have to take the offensive upside of everything into account to the point of if he's just absolutely crushing it nonstop out there, like he kind of did just now against the Colts. Yeah, it's you. You kind of take the slight downgrade where Kumaro leaving puts you, but overall you'll you'll get by it, it things will be okay um i think though if hodgins really starts being awesome and thing of that nature and then crowder doesn't impress as much there is opening that door of possibility where hodgin gets in over crowder but again that fuels more into the conversation of what you just had with me about Crowder's position and i think Crowder would kind of have to play himself off of this roster in order for that scenario to play out where all of a sudden you're playing with Kumaro and Hodgins i don't see that being a reality it's just another kind of door that could be there for Hodgins to make this roster i do think it's a special teams driven kind of situation i do believe it that you know Kumaro still shows his value where it is. Re, again, as you pointed out, he did play against the Colts. You can't bench all your you know, special teams specific guys. You have to have someone out there, and especially if Kumaro needed to play some wide out for us. Unfortunately, not great, but he had to do it. Um, it is what it is. If Hodgins can really step up and do something on special teams, kind of to wrap this up here, if he can really step up and actually make an impact somewhere that it finally catches their attention with that on top of his offensive upside. Yeah, that's really where all of a sudden Kumaro finds himself in trouble because, yeah, Hodgins as a receiver is definitely a leg up on Kumaro. It's now just show your value somewhere else that really solidifies yourself to be someone that should be on this roster come final cuts. And um, yeah, I would like to see, you know, I want to see more out of him in that regard to kind of solidify me wanting him on this roster, but he's doing a great job so far and he's got a great future ahead of him, hopefully to potentially make this roster. So there's a lot that goes into it. We've, We've mentioned a lot of it. I think one thing that'll help Hodgins make the roster is Khalil Shakir continuing to play well and gain the faith of the coaching staff. If Khalil Shakir can get himself to the point where they view him as the fourth wide receiver, no matter what, like even if McKenzie goes down, they'd rather have Shakir on the field than Crowder. I think that much more opens the door for them to say, okay, Crowder, you just don't provide enough value for us to waste a roster spot on you. One other thing I want to point out really quickly is we know the bills are going to be up against the cap with some tough decisions to make in the future. One thing Hodgins presents for them is a cheap wide receiver option, not just this year, but he's under contract for next year and he's an exclusive rights free agent in 2024. So when you think about the bills trying to fill out a depth chart, having Diggs, who's going to be expensive, you still have McKenzie under contract on a very decent deal for the bills. You're going to have Davis going into the fourth year of his deal next year, cheap, but obviously you have to make a decision there. Having someone like Hodgins in the fold for the next two to three years, that could be a tiebreaker when you're comparing it to someone like Crowder, who is on a one and done contract deal. Um, I, I do think that it's going to be interesting to see what happens with these three receivers. I I think 
I'm I'm fascinated to see what happens with Crowder in this next preseason game, and I'm rooting for Hodgins. I want to see him continue to build on this. I don't think the Bills will be able to sneak Hodgins on their practice squad. Unfortunately, you know, Brian Dable and Joe Shane going down to New York, it sure feels like anybody that the Bills are high on that have been around for a while, they're not going to be able to sneak out in waivers without the Giants scooping them up. So it'll be fun to see what happens. It's a good problem to have. You never want to say your team has too many good players. These are the decisions you want your team to make. Let's quickly talk about some other players on the offensive side of the ball. Um, There was some concern about OJ Howard, who was on the field late in the fourth quarter of the game. And I will admit I was concerned too. Like, hey, why is OJ Howard out there in the middle of the fourth quarter? Joe Biscaglia tweeted out today that the reason he was out there is because Tommy Sweeney actually came off late with an injury. Obviously, it wasn't a serious injury because McDermott hasn't brought it up in either of his two press conferences since the game ended. But Joe Biscaglia mentioned that with Sweeney going off with an injury, the Bills did not want to put Jalen Weidermeyer on the field because apparently they already knew they were going to cut him. And the worst case scenario for the Bills in that situation would be for Weidermeyer to go on the field, injure himself, and then they're on the hook for his salary. If you know you're going to get rid of a player, it's not much of a contract, but a team certainly doesn't want to pay somebody if they know he's not going to be helping them on the field. That's why they put OJ Howard out there. So no reason to read into him being out there. I think there's still some concerns about is he going to be any kind of a weapon in the passing game here. Who knows? Tommy Sweeney started to get some rave reviews. Quentin Morris made a nice catch down the sideline as the game was was coming on, um, up in the fourth quarter that helped the Bills on one of their scoring drives. One last name, Luke, I want to bring up that seems to be getting some rave reviews from fans and people covering the game. Raheem Blackshear, four catches for 60 yards, had two rushing touchdowns, also showed some value as a kick returner. I have watched enough Bills preseason games and seen enough running backs in my lifetime. Shaud Williams, Joe Burns, Lionel Gates. I've seen enough running backs come and go. Uh, Maybe you want to throw Antonio Williams into that mix where it's like, oh man, this guy could be something really special. And then you never hear from him again. I'm not going to buy into the Raheem Blackshear hype, but for a player to have a moment, have a chance to shine and take advantage of it, it's really cool to see. But at, at this point in time, sitting here at the time we're recording, there's really no thought in my brain that Blackshear is pushing for a roster spot at this point, unless, unless behind the scenes, he is proving to be a dynamic special teamer, and maybe he can make the Bills consider that Taiwan Jones spot as a guy who could fill in for Taiwan Jones as a special teamer, but maybe also offer more offensively and then maybe as a kick returner. I think that's his path, but realistically, Blackshear to me reads like a perfect practice squad running back year one, and then next year when Devin Singletary's gone and Zach Moss is heading into the last year of his deal and Duke Johnson's probably not here, maybe he's a guy that can make some noise then. Uh, Luca, any thoughts on Blackshear or O.J. Howard? Yeah, you wrapped it up perfectly. I'm not I'm not buying into the, you know, the black shear stuff. It's great for him. I I you always want to see these flashes. I love seeing the players, you know, you hear about these guys that have a great preseason and maybe can create a career out of something that they didn't even expect to do just because they have these incredible, you know, second halves or whatever it is of preseason games and they just keep showing up. Maybe this is the start of that for him. Who knows? Um, don't have much more than that though. I'm not reading into the OJ Howard stuff that, that reasoning made total sense to me as soon as I heard it. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a business decision. It is what it is. 
you get on, you get through the game. Now Wiedermeyer's not here. Everything's good. Just move on. Yeah, I, I just I don't have too much on it. Like good for Blackshear. I'll I'll wrap it up with him because it's I always want to wrap up on a high here. Good for Blackshear. I'm happy for him. He had an awesome game, two touchdowns, all that stuff. I'm sure he'll remember all of that. But when it comes to anything meaningful for the Bills, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to buy into any of it. It's it's cool for him. He'll probably be on the practice squad, and um, it is what it is. Yeah, it's important to keep in mind that the Bills drafted James Cook in the second round. They're obviously going to keep Devin Singletary around. And until further notice, Taiwan Jones is a roster lock. So any chance of Raheem Blackshear being more than a practice squad running back would have to come at the expense of Zach Moss. And he has been having a very strong camp and looked decent on on Saturday. He actually had an explosive run when nobody was blocking for him in the running game. And he managed to bounce it outside, even though the defensive lineman was in his lap at the snap. So good, good for Zach Moss. Excited to see what happens there. Luca, let's spin it forward. We know the Bills have another preseason game coming up next weekend against the Denver Broncos. That game is also in Buffalo at Highmark Stadium. It is kids day at the stadium. And look, last week we talked the entire episode about who should play, who shouldn't play. We certainly don't have time left for that in this episode. Quick high level. There's two games left in the preseason. I don't know if it's even worth it to put Josh Allen out there for either game. I do anticipate there will be one of these two games where the Bills play a bulk of their starters just to kind of get their feet wet. Maybe that does include Allen. I will say I love the Roger Saffold quote today about, I don't know if I need to play in preseason, but if my quarterback's out there, I'm damn sure going to be out there. Like that gave me chills. I'm like, that is an offensive lineman speak. Like if you're putting my quarterback out there, put me out there. I love that. Um, Luca, do you have any preference on if, and this is a big if, if the Bills were were committed to playing their starters in one of these next two games, do you have any preference on which game it is? Me personally, I think I would almost prefer it to be this next game because on the chance that something goes wrong, somebody important tweaks an ankle, you just you have built in one more week of recovery time before the important games happen. That, that's kind of my mindset. I'm still a fan of... I don't think important players need to play in preseason. I think the bills are probably going to go the other way and have one game where they treat it like a dress rehearsal. And that may include Josh Allen. Do you have a preference on which one of these two games the bills put their starters out for? I wasn't even thinking about it when it comes to recovery time, but that's a great point. I was just going to say next game only because it's a controlled environment or at least a more controlled environment. You're at home. That's to me more important. Like, you can have a controlled environment for your offense because realistically, those are the starters that truly, I mean, 17, 14, all of them out there. Like you want to make sure they're in a controlled environment. If you're going to put them out there, I love Saffold's comment as well. If Allen's out there, you have your entire offensive line out there. Do not mess around with that. Let me relay that. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again, and I will always say it about preseason. If you are starting your starting quarterback, every one of those starting offensive linemen better be there. If there is one missing, you do not do it. And that's where I'll draw the line. If for whatever reason, your right tackle position, both of the guys have a knock or whatever, and you don't trust them to play and you're not going to do not play your starters. Do not play your quarterback, plain and simple. But if everyone's good in an ideal world, everything's perfect. Yeah, I would prefer this next one. It's the home game. It's a controlled environment that the injury points a great point. Yeah, just to keep it real quick. Yes, I would prefer it to be this coming weekend 
week two against the Broncos, just a driver two, let them have their fun. And then on top of it, you give the home fans what they want, yada, 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 so on, so forth. It's, it's a good thing to do. I don't, it would be really silly to me being that we're on the road for week three to do it. Then it's again, the injury. It's amazing. I didn't even think about the injury point. That's blowing my mind right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it just one last week to recover. You're on the road. Who knows what could happen? Just do it at home. Get it done with. Hopefully everything goes perfectly and you get healthy for week one. I think the only argument about doing it in Carolina would be maybe you get to deal with some crowd noise and you get to give a, a test drive to Alan hearing Dorsey's voice on the road while de- dealing with crowd noise, also trying to run a huddle, something to consider. But, you know, if the bills are that concerned about it, they can pump in some crowd noise at home and, you know, maybe just have the fans start a wave while the offense is on the field. It's not that big of a deal. It's going to be about a half filled house, no matter where they're playing for preseason. So it's not like the crowd noise is going to be that consequential. All right, Luca, before we get out of here, let's spin it around the league. There were some storylines, you know, not too much. It is preseason. We're going to take that for what it is. Um, Zach Wilson appeared to have a very significant injury in the Jets preseason game against the Eagles. Uh, Rumor on Twitter was that he had torn his ACL, but upon further review, it turns out it looks like just some sort of a bone bruise. And interestingly enough, it seems like the poor surface at Philly with the poor footing actually saved his ACL um, based on how his foot landed. So that's interesting, but you know, you never root for injuries ever. Like I will never root for injuries. I don't care if it's the Patriots, the dolphins, if it's the chiefs in the championship game, you just, you don't root for injuries. And for a team like the jets that it's like one step forward, two steps back constantly, you almost felt sick for them when you felt like, man, this was a year they're really going to find out what they have in Zach Wilson. And now they're not even going to get to see him on the field after what happened with Mekhi Becton. I know I don't want to speak for you, Luca, but I even felt relieved when I found out that Zach Wilson was going to was going to avoid the major injury and probably even be back for week one. Yeah, very happy to hear that it wasn't a season loss for him. Um, you want him to be healthy. You want you want to see players try to make the career that you hope they can be, regardless that they are a division rival, whatever the circumstances may be. Yes. When the news came out that it was a bone bruise and then, you know, whatever part or torn meniscus, whatever that may be, whatever is invasive with that, and then surgery is involved, but then the timeline was projected two to four weeks, maybe a couple weeks longer, who knows? Um that was, yeah, it, I felt good about that. I was, or I at least was happy to hear that because yes, the initial reaction of, oh no, he tore his ACL, just brutal. Second year quarterback, first full off season for him. You're hoping, he, you know, as a Jets fan, they're hoping he can finally maybe turn the corner, show some positivity because last season was uh, not that great. And then all of a sudden the first preseason game, he has a massive knee injury that knocks him out all year. Just brutal. That. I wouldn't, I couldn't even imagine being a fan in that situation of that team. Like that would, that would suck. And just happy to hear it's not that case. And um, hopefully he's out there sooner rather than later. And maybe we'll even see him be able to improve this season. If he doesn't play week one, Joe Flacco will start against the Ravens. And we're already set to have Baker Mayfield go against the Browns week one. So week one is setting up to be, Interesting. I don't know if that's interesting. That's the right word. Russell Wilson going to Seattle too. Russell. Oh man. NFL just doesn't miss. Revenge week. (laughs) Love it. 
All right. Speaking of quarterbacks, did any of the rookie quarterbacks catch your eye? Luke, I will tell you the guy that caught my eye was Desmond Ritter with the Falcons. He's a better athlete than I gave him credit for. I even told you this privately over the weekend. I, I was like, man, he, what I like about him is he's athletic enough to get out and run and even outrun linebackers at the NFL level. But when in the Falcons preseason game, when he had an opportunity to run, he was doing so with his eyes downfield, still looking to throw the ball. Um, he's big, he's physical. He has a good arm. There were a couple throws he had. Um, he was in there with the backups where he had a really beautiful touchdown pass to the backup tight end for the Falcons. And he just dropped the ball and it would have been such a nice highlight. And then you're just like, well, Kyle Pitts would have caught that and it would have been great. I'm intrigued by Desmond Ritter. It's all preseason. You got to remember there was a time when Nathan Peterman looked like a superstar in August. All of this that we've talked about and all this that we're seeing has to be taken with the grain of salt. But just looking at him as an athlete, as a guy, as a tool, as a, a ball of clay that you can shape into a potential franchise quarterback. If I were a Falcons fan, I'd be excited about what I saw from Desmond Ritter. Uh, Luke, anything around the league catch your eye here in week one of preseason? Falcons fans should be somewhat excited for Desmond Ritter. I will say I'm I'm not the biggest of fans of Desmond Ritter or wasn't going in the draft, but I did like him more than it seemed like the consensus was. I think um, he was getting a little bit of a hard time from a lot of places that I didn't understand. I think all the rookie quarterbacks actually had a pretty good outing. I mean, Malik Willis showed, I mean, he had the run for a touchdown, I believe it was, where mm -hmm. he just like reversed field and bang, just put it all the way in. Kenny Pickett, very efficient for the Steelers. I will say, you know, I, I did just earlier say I love to finish on a positive note. The only rookie quarterback, ironically enough, that had a brutal outing was uh, my guy, Matt Corral. He, he did not have a good outing out there. I don't know if you saw the stats of his game-winning drive. Mm -hmm. He was like 0 for 4, and the only reason they got down the field was because of timely penalties and whatnot. It was hilarious. It, it might be the most impressive or lack thereof game-winning drive by a quarterback of all time. It was, you got, if you have a chance just for fun, look up the final drive of that Panthers game and see how Matt Corral got that team down the field. It wasn't actually from him doing anything good. It's but quite hilarious. Did he pull an EJ manual, throw a game winning, get, get a game winning drive in preseason and then shush the crowd, the 10 people <laughs> that were still there? Because yeah. if he didn't do that, then it doesn't matter. Because EJ Manuel is still a legend for that. For oh, that was that was a funny moment. But yeah, shushing no, the Browns fans, the ten of them that were still there. Yeah, just had to get that. It was unfortunate for Matt Corral, yeah. but yeah, no, all the rookie quarterbacks did a pretty good job. I mean, it was I was I was genuinely impressed. I will say Trubisky still looks like he has the job in Pittsburgh. He also looked very good. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, Pickett, Willis, Ritter. All of them. They looked very, very good in the pre or yeah, week one of the preseason. It was I was happy to see that the future of the NFL and all these quarterbacks might actually be something. That's cool. All right. Final thought, Luca. And then we're going to get out of here. There was some talk last week about Odell Beckham. This has been percolating. Um, there's been like a little song and dance going on with Von Miller and Beckham on Instagram and Twitter about, hey, come play for us. And Beckham asking him what the, the locker looks like next to him. And then Miller got everybody excited when he was on McAfee and started talking about Beckham in a, in a sense of like, it's not if, but when go check out that interview. Just, I don't want to have a long Odell Beckham conversation. I don't, I don't expect anything to happen here. Like in the next couple of days or anything like that. Let's just have a quick high level conversation. One, should the bills be interested in Odell Beckham? And two, do you expect it to happen? I'll give you my answer. 
yes, the Bills should be interested in Odell Beckham. This is a championship team with championship aspirations. I want good players, and Odell Beckham makes the Bills better. I don't know if he's better than Stefan Diggs. I'm pretty sure he's not. I don't know if he's better coming off of an ACL than even Gabe Davis at this point. I'd almost be willing to bet that he's not. Is he better than Isaiah McKenzie? If so, then he makes the team better. He's another weapon for us. If he's not, then he's still better depth. To me, this is something they should be interested in. I don't anticipate the Bills are going to do this anytime soon. There is the issue of a player with at least four years of experience like Odell Beckham has. If they're on the week one roster, their salary is guaranteed. And money is not something the Bills have a lot of at this point in time. I would expect that if they kick the tires on Beckham, it'll be something they explore as we get closer to like October and November, especially if something happens to one of their big three wide receivers. Luca, where do you stand on the Odell Beckham conversation? Absolutely, 1,000%. They should be interested, first and foremost. Undoubtedly should be interested. But yes, as you pointed out, uh, the final point that you made, Odell signing with any team, just not even talking bills right now, is probably not going to come until late October, November. Again, he is recovering from an ACL injury of which he sustained in the actual Super Bowl of last year. That is February, people. It's a long recovery from a torn ACL. He is not going to be anything of note until then. With the bills being strapped for cash, as you pointed out, definitely not going to come anytime soon. My final point to it will be, if Odell Beckham Jr. finds himself on this team, he will be one of three professional athletes that I will ever own multiple jerseys of. Larry Fitzgerald, Mohamed Salah, and Odell Beckham Jr. Because you bet your sweet ass I'd be buying that jersey in about 10 seconds. Love me some Odell. It's... I'm a big Odell fan, man. He is a highlight reel, or at least he was. And even coming off a of torn ACL, I thought your point is perfect. He is a great addition to this team and makes the team better. Like, I don't understand how anyone could think otherwise. I don't think there's many people that do think otherwise to that point as well. I just want to preface. This isn't like something I've been seeing where people are like, oh, what could he do for this team? I'm pretty sure everyone out there believes whichever team Odell ends up on once he's healthy and everything, he will make an impact. He will make that team better. It's just hopefully with this Bills because, yes, could you imagine once we're getting in the games that matter, once we start our playoff run, hopefully, it's like you're Diggs, Davis, McKenzie, Shakir maybe coming into a thing, and you have Odell sitting there as your fifth receiver. I mean, what a, oh, geez. Talk about depth at the wide receiver position, and they all can do it all. Every one of those guys can do anything you want on the field. Josh Allen would be having a field day. I would love to see it. Don't expect it anytime soon, though, but we are going to keep our ear to the ground, as you like to say, on the Odell situation. And I would love to see it happen come, you know, October, November, whenever it may happen. I would love to see it happen too. something else I'd love to see happen. I would love for you to keep it glued to the built in Buffalo podcast network as we will get you ready for this preseason game. Number two, as the bills get ready to take on the Denver Broncos this coming Saturday and Luca and I will be back next Monday morning to talk about everything that happened in that game as well as any Bills news that pops up between now and then. Until next week, we will see you next time on Bills Chat.